0: Eliana, I know this is—it might be the wrong year to ask you this—but how how would you feel if I told you that there are there are such things as good viruses? What would be your reaction? Good
1: viruses? Mm. Now you have me wondering mm. because it's very hard to believe you.
0: I know it's the wrong year, isn't it?
1: It is. The
0: Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Science Basement Podcast, a podcast for people who love all things science. I'm your host, Giuliano. And I'm your co-host, Eleana. And today we're talking about cancer and viruses. Yeah, I know it sounds like a terrible episode, but bear with us. We will actually be diving into what scientists are trying to do about cancer, how they're trying to defeat it. So definitely something to look forward to. And regarding the viruses, well, you'll see. Anyway, to walk us through this fascinating topic, we have Manlio Fuscello, PhD student at Professor Vincenzo Cerullo's Immunoviral Therapy Lab, University of Helsinki. Hello, Manlio. How are you? Hello, guys. I'm fine. Thank you so much for having me. So, if you, of course, clearly, uh, it's quite obvious what you work on. Uh, you're not just a random PhD student that we decided to invite. If the episode is cancer and viruses, it's quite obvious to, it's it's quite safe to hypothesize that's your research topic. But can you just really, like, briefly introduce yourself? How would you just, you just introduce yourself and broadly, really generally, your topic.
2: We will go through the details in the rest of the interview. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, uh, my name is Manlio. As you mentioned, I've been here in Finland for five years now. I'm finishing my PhD in my wonderful lab, which is called Immunoviral Therapy Lab. Uh, As you can somehow grasp from the title, we work on immune system of each of us. And uh, cancer is involved in uh, being spotted by our immune system, and we use viruses to do so. So we develop something called cancer vaccines using a bad guy, a virus, against another bad guy, which is the cancer. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's great. That's our philosophy as well.
1: And if I may ask for the people in our audience who do not know the technical term, we all have an idea of what cancer is, but what is the most scientific way to describe it?
2: That's actually a very good question. Well, let's say that every day there is a war happening inside our body. There is a part of our body which is trying to build itself. So it's growing. And another part of our body, which is destroying ourselves, so it's destroying the bad tissues. Well, when for some reasons, this war has an imbalance towards the growing of a tissue, unstoppable growing, well, that's called cancer. That's actually what... uh, That's the dangerous part of it for us. And today, what can clinicians do about it what are the therapies that already exist well i mean the therapies during the past decades have evolved a lot so the the conventional ones are for sure the first intervention which is the surgeon so you know if you have a thread the first thing you want to do is to get rid of it like cut and not even paste it's cut and trash it right Um, when that it's possible it's the greatest thing to do because it means that the the thread, the problem can be totally removed. In addition to that, sometimes that's not the best case scenario because cancer may be in a location which is difficult to intervene with. So in that case, uh, you might have heard about radiation therapy. So there are radiations which are shot against the cancer and they are creating a sort of inflammation and destroying the cancer directly. With that, There is even this word, which I'm pretty sure you've heard a lot, and it's pretty scary, which is called chemotherapy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It shouldn't be that scary anymore because it used to be very toxic in the past. Now it's improving a lot. So it's just a pharmacological approach to treat cancer cells, just to destroy them specifically and try to leave your healthy cells alive. So it's like a form of
0: poison that it's
2: supposed to kill only the the cancer cells, right? Yeah, Yeah. I mean, in the past, it was a scary word because this poison was poisoning most of the body due to the fact that we didn't know the exact mechanism of these cancer cells. But now that we have identified them, it's easy to target specifically only uh, their way of acting, hence to block it, hence to destroy it. These are, I would say, the most conventional ones. Luckily enough, because science never stops and is trying to give solutions to problems. In the last decades, immunotherapy came out. What is immune therapy Is um, the fact that some immune players, some part of your immune system can be either artificially produced and used in a patient or can be naturally stimulated in the patient. And among them, that's where our research stays, you know, to use viruses to seek and destroy cancer cells and to make a sort of vaccination that your immune system will seek and destroy cancer because now that is a threat.
0: Okay so just just, just to make sure that I I, I got it right. Um, So so far we have as way to treat cancer we have of course surgery which is basically removing with a knife, <laughs> removing yeah. the tumor from your body, or uh, radiation therapy, which is basically shooting lethal radiation on the on the tumor, right, and killing yeah. the cancer, or chemotherapy, which is yeah. basically a poison that it's has been improved to uh, more and more be se- to be more and more selective to yeah. the cancer cells. And now there is you mentioned this new thing, uh, at least for me, it's new. You call it yeah. immunotherapy. Which tell me if I understood it correctly should be a way to activate your own defense mechanism, so your own immune system, to let it react uh, against
2: the cancer. Did I understand correctly? You understood correctly. The thing, the given here is that we are assuming that we are unleashing the patient immune system, and that's what you assume correctly. But in case the patient doesn't have a functioning immune system or something is not working or oh, of course can... for like immunodepressed patients and stuff like exactly that. there is the possibility to produce that uh, in vitro in, uh, in a lab or companies can do that and then that can be used artificially still in the patient like monoclonal antibodies you might have heard about them or CAR T cell therapies I mean these are now on the spot you might have heard them even in association with the pandemic, because monoclonal antibodies, they're just proteins which can come and interact with the specific biomolecules.
1: As someone who doesn't come from uh, the field of biology, uh, but uh, from physics, I can imagine that many of in our audience will relate with me when I say that I do not know what monoclo- monoclonal, how did you say, I don't know if I'm saying it even right. So I don't know what that is or means. So maybe you can explain in a few words.
2: Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, monoclonal means that this antibody, which is just a little hand, which will go and interact with the other hands around the body that are the target, they're all the same. That's what monoclonal means. They're all brothers and sisters uh, that have the same nature, which then will have the same function, and they're all exactly equal. Uh, that's very good for two reasons. First of all, it's easy to standardize them, meaning that we can decide the dose according to the patient. And it's very easy. And the second thing that we are sure that they all do exactly the same thing. Just to give you an example, imagine that now when your immune system is not able to detect something, and in this case, we said it's cancer because cancer has the possibility unfortunately, to put a little hand over there saying, do not kill me, that's a signal. Well, these monoclonal antibodies, they can be imagined as another hand that go there. And in the moment that there is this interaction that do not kill me signal, it's shut down. It's not shown anymore outside. And that's when this becomes a therapy.
0: It sounds to me like, so if you're saying that, I mean, of course, when the patient doesn't have an immune system, okay, you provide it, you provide the patient with one that you create in the lab, monoclonal antibodies, fine. But when the pa- patient does have an immune system, what do you mean you need to trigger it? So usually immune system,
2: it doesn't react to cancer? That's an awesome question, which is in the base of, uh, I would say, all the scientific community, which is now trying to fight cancer like it's very unusual the fact that we are healthy normally and then at some point something is rising in our body and that's something it goes unspotted and stealth while before instead it was spotted all the time and you know there is a bit of discrimination here between what is his to be healthy and what instead it's not i can give you an example that um the sort of you know, shredding this light in the darkness, it's worth it a Nobel prize two years ago to two great scientists, which have identified why most of cancers are unspotted, what's happening in there. And you know, even though many therapies came out of that and they're now under validation, under approval, I think that the biggest contribution they gave, it's not actually the treatment. Is the knowledge that they gave to the field? Is the fact that that's basic biology? We have understood just a few years ago how to go and treat cancer because we understand how cancer is actually composed.
0: Another kudos! Another kudos to basic research. Yes, yes. thank you.
2: Yeah.
1: And yeah, I ask. So, what exactly did they find uh, with respect to why? like, uh, like the, the body is uh, sleeping and is not recognizing cancer cells so what is exactly going on with cancer cells that makes them unrecognizable as threat
2: yeah the the answer might sound trivial but that's actually the truth and that usually when you have a, a pathogen it's easy to be spotted because that's not part of our body that's called non-self but the biggest difficulties the biggest challenge that our immune system has is to spot something belonging to ourself that's the problem with cancer cancer is our own tissue and that is very difficult to be discriminated between good or bad because if that would be recognized as bad we would self-destroy each other and that's actually what an autoimmune disease sometimes can be so, imagine how difficult and the fine tuning which we should have between discriminating what to kill and what to do instead not to kill.
1: So, now we understand why our own body doesn't recognize cancer cells. And from that, we have uh, developed, if I understood right, um, different methods to make our own immune system uh, identify or like. Uh, find the right cells that are cancerous, which before it wouldn't, let's say, see if I put that in quotes. So what does exactly what do exactly do um, to our immune system to then go and identify the cancer cells?
2: Great question. Um, I'll tell you first what normally happens, and then I'll tell you what we instead are doing to take advantage of this mechanism. Well, what normally it's happening, it's pretty, uh, I I will make it in a very simple way. When cancer cells die, or even when they are alive, they are presenting, they are showing something which is normally not usual, okay? And this is proteins, part of proteins actually, part of them. Mm, There are a sort of cleaning police in our body called dendritic cells they just take these little pieces of proteins. They go to our lymph nodes. That's that's the one that you feel when, for example, you get some infection that uh, you have some swollen lymph nodes on your neck or under your armpit. Well, that swelling, it's due to the fact that this cleaning police went into your lymph nodes and is actually recruiting fighters. It's actually a training barracks saying, hey guys, listen, I found this little piece over here. Wherever you go and you find the similar one, just please destroy it. That's what our immune system is doing. And this is what we try to do with cancer.
0: I'm imagining a, a, a dendritic version of Uncle Sam saying, I warn you in the, in the, I don't know, in the recruiting station in the lymph nodes. Sorry, uh, just my imagination. No, no, that's
2: actually, <laughs> I, that's, that's very cool. And I can tell you that if you just pay attention from now on to people talking about cancer, you will not hear anybody use kind words. It's always fighting, destroy it, uh, eradicate, uh, bomb. Uh, you know. So I guess that you actually got the point, Juliano. So it's it's we very appropriate. we have this in terms
0: of this military approach to disease, right? Let's fight the disease. Let's. Yeah, I think I had the same impression with COVID. Actually, yeah, you actually, know? I yes. think people were using the same words. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That's true. And actually, now that you mentioned viruses, and if I can connect back to what Eleanna said, that's actually our way to make our immune system to spot cancer when usually it's not spotable. And I tell you basically how in practice we do it. Well, for a reason or another, and I will just mention evolution in here, just not to go too deep into the history of our mankind. It's difficult for us to spot many I would say molecules in our life. But for a way or another, for a reason or another, we can always spot viruses. Always. We are somehow programmed to check on our enemies, especially when it comes to pathogens and especially when it comes to viruses. So whenever you, f- you meet a virus, whenever a virus is invading your body, your immune system will get activated. So we just said this. The immune system is always activated when I get a virus. Cancer is not able to be spot sometimes. What if I somehow mix the two things and I check what happened? That's what viral therapy is. So this and is where the virus come in. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and... Um, I can tell you that they are the best friends that you can have. Actually, wrong time, wrong time
0: to say that. Know, wrong time to say that. I know. I know. Well, but
1: we, we have to be fair. It's not all viruses. I can imagine. It's yeah. not that we can go and use all viruses to help us uh, treat cancer. So we we can be angry with some of them, Giuliano. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, that's actually a very good point. Uh, there are some good viruses which we are using. Specifically, we use. Herpes viruses, we use adenoviruses, which are really uh, nice one, easy to uh, modify, and they are very they are very lovely in the way they interact with our body because they do not create any uh, severe disease. Well, the thing is when you inject this virus inside the cancer, these viruses have been modified to be a sort of silent assassins. You see how I use these uh, <laughs> killing words. So
1: much violence, so much violence in our vocabulary when it comes to medical research.
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's how it is, actually. And uh, these silent um, assassins, they start to make copies of themselves inside cancer cells. And they make a lot of copies till the point that the cell cannot hold it anymore. And they're just exploding. Only in cancer cells, specifically in cancer cells. Yeah, these viruses are called oncolytic viruses. They are modified just to do this job in cancer cells. They leave the healthy cells alive. They can infect the cells, so they can enter. But once they enter, nothing is happening there. While instead, in cancer cells, they do their own cycle, life cycle, if you want to consider them live beings. And that's when they're doing their job to destroying uh, cancer. You also
0: mentioned a word that also, I think, given the time is a hot word. You mentioned the word vaccine at one point. Now, you mentioned uh, that now you're using the viruses, using their specific ability of, of these specific virus to selectively kill the cancer cells. Although I still don't see where the immune system comes in and therefore... Where the vaccine word would come in, because as far as I understand, a vaccine is something that we use to train our own immune system to recognize a pathogen. Um, so, so far you told us about the viruses killing the cancers, you know, then cells. Where does the immune system k- uh, come in? Why did you use the word uh, vaccine?
2: That's an actually awesome question because that's what most of people are asking when we present our uh, research. So actually got very good points. First of all, let's be familiar to what, with what vaccine means. Usually, uh, you might have heard lately, thanks to this pandemic, what a vaccine is. You just take, a, I would say, a fake virus or a fake pathogen. You use it somehow as a, a trigger of the immune system against a thread which you haven't seen yet, right? you are instructing, you're programming your immune system to recognize something which is not creating a disease, but looking like, as much as possible, the real pathogen, right? So in the moment that you will meet the real pathogen, you are protected. That's what a vaccine is. There are several kinds of vaccines, and uh, you need to make another series if you want to hear about them, because there are so many. So stay stay with us anyway, (laughs) that's one thing. The second thing is this. Imagine if you could use this approach which I've just described for cancer. So imagine if you can take something which is not cancer, you can make it looking like cancer, and then your immune system, when it's in front of the real cancer, will act and destroy it. Okay, how have we done that? Well, our body doesn't have a catalog of viruses. They just find them, they are just balls made of proteins and some fat sometimes, but let's stick with the proteins. And you know, when these proteins are actually matching some specific criteria of being thread bad guys, then you're activating the immune system. So then we said, if it's always, uh, if the vaccine, if, if the immune system, it's always getting the virus, let's attach small pieces of the tumor on top of the virus. Why? Because now, when the immune system is seeing that virus, it will not see only the pathogen, but it will even see these little proteins as potential part of the virus, which is not true. But then your immune system is gonna recognize whatever looks like that. So you're basically saying, hey, listen, there is a tumor virus around your body, go spot it and kill it. The immune system doesn't know that that's part of your tissue. They think it's a virus and they kill it. We mock our immune system.
1: So you mentioned, Manlio, that you you take some part of the cancer cell and you mix it up with the virus. Uh, and. To my understanding, is that cancer is personal and different people might have a different type of cancer at the same organ. I'm mixing now my vocabulary. I'm sorry about that. But uh, do you have to take a sample from each individual patient and uh, uh, create like a personalized vaccine for them or can it be generalized uh, for many patients?
2: Well, um, at the moment, there are common features, common fingerprints that are shared between cancers and even between people. So it is possible to find a sort of general treatment which can be given. But our hope is to go personal. It's to have a so-called tailored therapy, customized therapy. It is possible in principle to take a biopsy of a cancer that is taken from a patient to destroy and investigate which kind of proteins are in there. And we can attach that proteins on the viruses, as I explained before, in order to make a personalized cancer vaccine. That's the mission that the immunotherapy field has, immunoviral therapy has. And I can tell you that we are testing now this treatment as uh, an acute treatment. Like when you have an ongoing cancer, we try to destroy it. with this. But I'll give you my personal opinion, but even a sort of educated uh, opinion according to what we see in the field. I don't see very far the day in which we can just get a vaccine when we are kids and then not developing cancer for the rest of our life. That's the end point of our research.
1: That is awesome and I think like I also believe we are getting there because now we have like vaccine for um cancer, like um, papilloma virus. Uh, and also I heard recently that they are testing uh, a, a vaccine for breast cancer. So it seems like, at least for me, being an outsider, it seems that there's a lot of progress going on and that we are heading to a good path. So I'm not surprised with what you say, that one day we'll get a vaccine very young.
0: As I said in the in the intro, yeah, a lot of things to look forward to. So this is not a completely, uh, you know, it's not like a completely sad episode. So
1: woohoo! Woo. Right, yeah. We talk about cancer, which is a very sad topic, but uh, with a lot of uh, positive messages in there
2: if i can uh, if i can say something about positivity i wanna you know i try when i talk about science to put my feelings on the side and try just to look at data in a sort of cynic and cold way but uh, there is something i want to say when i was born uh, unfortunately a bit long ago in 1989 that was a time in which Nine out of 10 children which had pediatric cancer would not survive. So, nine out of 10 kids would not survive. I'm now 32, and the latest statistics I saw are telling that nine children out of 10 are surviving thanks to the advanced therapies we have today and they can have a normal life. I'm crying.
0: I'm crying. No, this is Juliana, don't,
1: don't, don't cry. It's, it's, a, it's amazing and it's a very promising thing. Um, for me, it's so important that the, the fact that people who might have had an aggressive form of cancer, uh, nowadays they can uh, uh, get better and lead a normal life. Um, it's, it's very promising. And I can imagine it's not the only case that uh, we have a treatment and people can lead a, a normal life in terms of like cancer um, diseases, yeah.
0: No, I, I, I absolutely agree. I love the fact that uh, maybe for people outside of, of research, even outside of the field, honestly, um, it, it, I, we always get the, like, I say we, because again, I'm, I'm, I'm in the field of research, but I'm working on the brain, so not really in cancer. And it's easy to have the impression that we're still stuck because I guess people imagine that a cure will be a one day revolution, right? One day cancer is incurable, the day after someone came out with an DM. boom, cancer is curable, but that's never what happens. It's a gradual process where the treatment gets better, slightly better, and slightly better, and slightly better. And then at one point you look back 10 years and you go, wow, well, I mean, we, we, we actually did improve quite well. So it's uh, thank you for giving us some numbers, Llandia. I think it's very important to to highlight the fact that science and research about cancer is actually improving, is actually going on, is actually going forward. And, uh, and you know, science is, is, is really at least treating better and better and more su- successfully uh, cancer and other diseases.
1: Now I have another question that comes to my mind, because we are talking about uh, taking advantage of viruses in order to treat cancer. But then there are some cancer forms that are induced by viruses themselves. So can we apply this uh, virus vaccine technique to treat any kind of cancer, even those that are induced by by viruses, or is it only applicable to specific uh, types of cancer?
2: Well, that is a great question, but we we must make a distinguishment. Uh, First of all, if cancer is caused by a virus, then we need to have a vaccine against the virus first, because that will basically eliminate the origin of cancer. So that's the first thing to do. Then when it comes to that kind of cancer, well, sure, it depends, of course, the nature of it, because We have been testing our therapies mostly on melanoma and on breast cancer, but potentially that can be applicable to all of cancers. Because when we speak about personalized medicine, as long as we can take some part of that tumor, then we can build up our therapy. I just like to point out a little thing. When viruses are creating cancer, that happens because some of these viruses are the ones that are able to disturb a normal life cycle of a cell. These are not the viruses we're using. These are, uh, let's say, viruses which are able to integrate their own genome, they're going DNA, in our DNA. And if that happens in a part of our DNA where, you know, it's called junk DNA, where nothing important is happening, we're safe. But if that happens in parts of DNA which are, responsible of making a cell normally live and it's making them instead duplicate and grow and grow and grow without stopping, well, that's a problem. So in that case, we need to tackle first the virus. Tell me if I understood right, because this might be a bit uh,
0: complex. So there are some viruses, uh, not all of them, some of, as we said, some of them are good, some of them are bad. Yeah. There are some really nasty viruses which are able to basically put their, their DNA, their genes inside our cells gene. Yeah. And sometimes they insert their genes in a part where it causes no issue. They basically, they insert their gene in, a, in, a, in an in area that you, you define as, well, you define as uh, junk DNA. So something that the cell doesn't use, so it's no issue. But sometimes they insert their DNA inside a very important gene for the life cycle of the cell, basically breaking it, right? So they basically break important genes of the cell, therefore triggering a rogue behavior, which would then
2: lead to cancer. Did I understand correctly? That's correct. That's actually very correct. Um, I mean, it's something that happens randomly. It's just, you know, playing on big numbers. Virus doesn't know where to put his DNA. As long as it gets east, DNA copied as many times as possible. If that happens somewhere where you know no harm is done, great. If that happens next to a gene, as you mentioned, that can trigger aberrant behavior or rogue behavior, that's very bad. If that happens, destroying a mechanism which is supposed to take down the cell, because you know we have regulatory systems which when something goes bad, they are they're ready. It's a sort of safety system. Well, that causes cancer as well.
0: Okay, so let's um, wrap up everything we said so far. So, okay, we know that at the moment, clinicians can treat cancer through surgery, radiotherapy, and chemotherapy. But there is this a new uh, new therapy which involves activating our own immune system, called uh, called immunotherapy, and specifically. Your lab and other labs in the world, I assume, they are trying to work out um, a system to make cancer visible to the immune system, because usually cancer has this superpower of being invisible to the the immune system, whereas this immunotherapy is trying to find ways to make cancer visible. And specifically, your lab is trying to do this in two ways, basically using viruses, which would then act, if I understood correctly, in two different ways. One, through the actual killing ability of the virus, which is a trained cancer killer. And at the same time, using virus, viruses to basically train the immune system to recognize the cancer cells by basically, you know, adding the proteins of the cancer on the, on the virus. And so
2: this is where we are at so far. Did I understand correctly? You understood so correctly that I could actually write the PhD thesis out of your speech, yes.
0: Okay, so this was the general background. This is what the world is doing about it. Manlio, what are you doing? What are you working on? What's the question you are trying to answer?
2: (laughs) What I'm trying to do is basically... I'm trying to make these uh, therapies available for everybody in the world because there are some restrictions given by cold chain for example so i'm trying to make them uh, not in need of having a cold chain with different uh, uh, formulations sorry uh can you repeat that word Cold cold chain what's that it's all the process which must be used when you want to keep something refrigerated or at a specific temperature.
0: Ah, sorry. Yeah. OK. OK. I'm, I wasn't, I, I'm, familiar with, I'm familiar with the concept. I wasn't familiar with the words.
2: No problem. And uh, that's the first thing I'm trying. I'm working at the moment. I'm working on at the moment because there are so many vaccines which could be potentially be available for eradicating many diseases in the world. So many kids can use that. The problem is that the temperature in which these vaccines are then exposed, they are destroying them. So we're now trying to understand a way to make them stable so they can be shipped and used everywhere in the world so that finally many diseases can be wiped away from this world. That's So
1: if, if I understand right... We have an idea of vaccines or like there are now many vaccines tested that could potentially cure many diseases. And the uh, thing we are trying to solve is how to safely transport them or stabilize them in terms of the temperature of their environment so that they can be transported, as you said, to many countries. So that's a very technical um, aspect that uh, we need to, right now, identify, right, and and solve.
2: Yes, I mean, you might have heard the fact that with the COVID, the messenger RNAs that Moderna and Pfizer uh, produced, they are working fine. But one of the problems is that they must be kept at minus 70, minus 80, or eventually even a normal fridge, uh, which is very okay, but for most of the countries might be a problem as well. And if we apply that to the Western worlds or the developed countries, it's totally fine. When it comes to, I don't know, Central Africa or somewhere in Asia in which this equipment is not available, well, you understand that. That's just an example, i now mentioning the COVID, but imagine for all the other diseases. So yeah, that's the ongoing project at the moment concerning the next, I would say, couple of years, three years, and instead in cancer, just to give you a little heads up about what we've been talking today. Um, we are trying to find a way to stimulate the immune system, no matter what, meaning that let's try to find a way to make this uh, cancer spotable without this little fingerprint or proteins to spot- touch on them. Because that means that we are always dependent of a source or donor but it would be nice to have a future in which no matter what cancer you, get, you have, you get your immune system activated and it gets, it gets fought no matter what. So we're trying to work on that so-called innate immune system.
1: If I understand right, this means that there is still a lot of room for research and uh, investigations in the field, which is rather promising for the younger Uh, members in our audience who might aspire to follow the same career as you, then it's good that they now know or they hear from from you that there is still a lot uh, to be figured out and there's still a lot of ongoing research um, for many uh, questions to find answers.
2: There is. Immunotherapy is an odd topic. As I told you just a couple of years ago, we got Nobel Prizes for just one little thing. Imagine how many are out there. And for the scientists of tomorrow, imagine how cool science you can do compared to us because every day new tools, new technologies, new way of doing science is happening, especially with the support of technology. I mean, now scientists are this. you know, fictional character, which is using the iPad or other tablets or the stuff, a computer, and there will be soon robots or machines. So whatever you see movies, if you like them, you can make it happen in your life, helping other people. So I would say welcome for the new generations to this field.
1: So I always thought of these things as futuristic, but then that future is much closer, right, than than what um, most of us have, have in mind. So yeah uh, for the younger generation it's good to embrace all the new technologies and even think beyond that
0: um okay so you told us that you're trying basically your question your, your your project as manlio is to try to make these techniques these uh, vaccines more available and accessible uh trying to reduce or avoid the use of this uh, cold chain can okay, we ask you where are you at uh, have you used these does this, uh, this this vaccine work in patients or in preclinical models or in animal models? Uh, are you planning to move on to what's the next phase? Where are you at and where are you planning to go?
2: Well, I mean, this is something that has just started, to be honest. I mean, we had some preclinical results during the summer. So we know that in vitro it works. But on the other hand, we know that many things that sometimes work in vitro then don't work in vivo. So, um, for sure, our aim is to soon move to the uh, animal testing, because then we know if you know antibodies and uh, lymphocytes are produced thanks to that, meaning that we can check if we have the same potency at a normal vaccine. Um, that's that's where what what we have done so far and where we're trying to go. The future is a long road because when then you want to move to man, to mankind, to humans, it takes a while. I mean, you, you, you get in the world of regulation and stuff like that. But, you know, as long as we can find a proof of concept that will lead either us or somebody else to proceed, that's our main uh, goal. Well, good luck with, uh,
0: with, with everything. I mean, apart from wishing you a successful PhD, we really, really want this technique to work. Uh, but clearly, you, know, you gave us uh, plenty of reasons to be optimistic. And uh, thank you for that. Uh, so this brings us to the end of the interview, but not the end of the episode. Our more accustomed uh, listeners will probably know this. Uh, at the end of each episode, we have a fun fact moment, a science fun fact moment, of course. We're not the science basement and nothing. So without further ado, Eliana, what have you got for us today?
1: Um, first, I had planned of something totally different, but then I thought I can uh, align my fun fact to the theme of the episode. And I will stick with cancer. And I will ask you, do you know what is the relation of a caterpillar uh, fungus and cancer?
0: Sorry, I think I misheard. Can you, can you repeat the question?
1: So the question was like, what is the relation between a fungus uh, that grows on a caterp- caterpillar you know, like a pine tree caterpillar, or no, no, no. yeah, understand. like a, I, the the beautiful butterfly tree it. butterfly face. <laughs>
0: no, I, I clearly did not misunderstood. I really heard I just I can couldn't accept that I actually understood what you said. I okay. So I did hear a fungus on a caterpillar and cancer. No idea. Okay, but I mean, Mandy, you're the expert. Do you know do you know
2: anything about this? Um I know about bacteria and cancer, but no, never heard.
1: Okay, so then, let me enlighten you. Um, apparently, research study or and it's already on a clinical trial phase, so a clinical trial showed that um, uh, they can derive an anti-cancer drug from a caterpillar fungus. So, you know, this, uh, like many people might have seen, and if not, uh, if your stomach can handle it, I encourage you to. There are these kind of funguses that infect uh, insects um, and they grow out of their uh, head, essentially. And uh, I don't just know- to man-
0: Just to mention, the Halloween episode was a previous one, Eliana.
1: <laughs> it's a continuation to the Halloween episode. If you didn't have nightmares until now, Now you do. So there are these uh, kind of funguses that they uh, affect the brain and uh, force insects to kill themselves. And then the cycle goes on. I think that's the case. Um, But yeah, they have been using uh, the fungus from caterpillar to derive a drug that helps um, with cancer and uh, clinical trials already showed it works. So we will link uh, the actual research paper about it. It was published in uh, MEC, the Clinical Cancer Research uh, Journal. And so we can uh, share the link and those who are interested can read more about it.
0: So scientists have extracted the substance that helps treating cancer from literally a fungus that that zombifies that zombifies caterpillars. Right. I don't know
1: exactly the details and the particulars. I think they were a bit uh, too much for me to comprehend. There was a lot of technical terms uh, that are related to uh, biomedicine uh, that I didn't grasp. But from what I understood, it is a certain molecule that they have found in that uh, parasitic fungus, um, which kills tumor cells when they are at phase one. Um,
2: Manlio, did you have any idea about this? I mean, this is telling you how twisted scientists are, just to let you know, guys.
1: I love that side of science. I really love that side of science. (laughs) For me, it's, I I, I don't know, many people might relate with me, but as a child, I was always fascinated about nature and how we can link different things in nature together. So for me now, uh, linking this, fungus to um treating cancer feels like uh, an amazing uh very curious and very interesting achievement
0: the perfect ending for this episode <laughs> thank you so much Eliana, for the for the fun fact and uh for the nightmares that i will have tonight uh thank you so much malio for guiding us through this jungle of uh, fears and hopes about um, cancer research and best of luck both for your phd and for humankind i would say uh, and thank you to our lovely listeners uh please do if you have time if you like the episode or you like the show please remember to share it and like uh, you know let the know the world know about us we you know we would really really like that but apart from that thank you everyone for listening thank you eleanor and thank you Malio. uh i'm juliano this was the science basement podcast I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for having me. The science Basement. This podcast was produced by The Science Basement, a science communication organization based in Helsinki, Finland. If you're interested in getting involved or being interviewed, get in touch at podcast at the science